Hello and welcome to Inspiration Boulevard, the podcast where we discuss the brilliance and creativity that exists within the field of mental health. I'm your host, Alan Hyde, and today I'm joined by a good friend, Melissa Quintanilla. Yes. Melissa, good to see you. <laughs> I quite got it. Yeah, I pronounced that last name good. <laughs> yeah, I'm impressed. I'm like, okay, a lot of practice has been going on here. Yeah, I practice in the mirror. <laughs> so how have you been? I've been good, um, you know, with what's going on. I, I've been okay. I've been really trying to figure out where I'm going with um, the times that we're living in, you know, how whatever I'm doing can change or adapt. And that's where I've been at. And um, like you, you know, doing podcasts and taking in with people online and putting the feelers out there and yeah. um, doing a lot of church stuff. Right now, I think um, the church is dealing with a lot of issues, mental health, you know, is like, creeping its way and I especially like I'm speaking from a Latina perspective like the Hispanic churches it's really predominant right now the the mental field is booming in there like people are finally opening their eyes there's a pandemic they're having anxiety they're afraid and you know it's finally like you can't run from it you have to face it so I'm excited well you know and and I've I've watched your stuff over the years of just obviously because we're we're good buds and went to school together and, and all that good stuff but I, I think, you, you know, just to give some background to those who are listening, it's like, you know, not only do you work with kids, right, in the education format of mental health, but you also advocate within the church and do a lot of sermons and different conversations. I know that's kind of some of the stuff your husband does as well, and and you have joined in, in a lot of those kind of things. And so I, I could only imagine right now, like, the pressing need for that probably within, like, even your church community for that kind of support. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, speaking from my personal experience, you know, um, a lot of the, my husband's a minister, my father's a minister, a lot of the ministers that I worked with, um, you know, had this negative view on mental health, on psychology. Uh, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but when I was going to go to Vanguard and start studying psychology, I got a phone call from my grandpa. Like He's like, hey, Melissa, I heard you're doing psychology. What are you thinking? You know, that's not a God and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, grandpa, really? And he's like, yeah. So after like 10 minutes, he was like, Miha, I'm so proud of you. Do it. Go for it. You know, like he was able to change um, perspectives. But, you know, in the church, not everybody is as open to it, um, you know. And so that's been a huge thing. I think just people right now being faced with, you know, church and mental health and I'm trusting in God, but yet I'm feeling really anxious in this time and stuff like that. So it's, it's been interesting. Yeah. You know, it's so, I, I think it's fascinating right now, especially no matter what the religious or spirituality component is. And maybe you could speak more to this too, Melissa. It's like, you know, I, I think right now society is forced to sit, like we're all forced to sit with ourselves and and then it, it automatically becomes not just a psychological question, but a, a question of well-being, you know, and, and who are the professionals around to help us with that as, as those who've been educated in, you know, psychology. Yeah. yeah. And I think even in that, like the professionals are having to face that maybe, you know, things that yeah. they're like, well, how do I help you? Sure. Um, you know, I, I, one of my friends, she's a practicing therapist and she's like, you know, I'm dealing with childcare issues. I'm dealing with all this stuff. I'm trying to focus on my clients. I'm feeling super anxious. I'm trying to potty train my child. You know, there's so yeah, much yeah. going on. And how do you practice that self-care that they taught you so much in school when you're dealing with this and there's so much need all around you? So 
Well, how, how do you go about that? Because I, I know you mentioned before the stream started, hubby took the took the baby out. How, how do you manage your self-care, which is yeah. everything going on in the world these days, plus your profession and married yeah. life and kids? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm obviously a big faith um, advocate. I, I love the Lord. And, and that has been one of my things. But I want to explain how that is, because I think we always do like, you know, I believe in God. And he helps me out. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know? yeah. And, um, you know, so I... First and foremost, my husband is pretty supportive, um, but he has been a little, a lot more anxious than me, you know, in this process. And so it's really been like, whoa, like how do I deal with it? It's very different when you deal with a client, you know, or something like that, yeah. but when you're yourself and you're like, I don't want to practice any of these tools to help you. <laughs> like I'm right. angry, right? like get over <laughs> this, you know, you're like calm down, you know, but um, it's really just remembering what the word says, like to be patient, love is this and blah, you know, and then with my studies um, and having to just um, set my boundary, like, you know what, like you're really like right now, I, you know what, you're being a lot for me. I need a little bit of space or, um, you know, or, Hey, why don't you go take my child out or our kid out to the park, you know, and it's good for him. It's good for me, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and so balancing like that, I think it's just really being honest with um, him and myself. Sometimes, my child gets on my nerves, so does my husband, and I need a break. And and that's totally okay. You know, and just saying that and thinking that and being okay with it and finding, even if it's a five-minute, ten-minute um, gap or one hour, I'm like, hey, I'm leaving. Oh, let's go. No, no, no. I'm leaving. <laughs> You're staying, you know, and vice versa. I think it's just being verbal about it and, and letting the person know, hey, I need a break. Because if we don't have a break, oh, my God. Like, I, I, I don't see how you could function um, before I give it back to you in one of my classes, I was talking to the parents and I asked the question, um, for, to the parents, do you think it's important to ignore your emotions, you know, in order to help your children? And they were like, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm like, no, you know, this is why, what happens when you do that? You're ignoring them, but they're still there. You're still frustrated. And that, you know, goes on to your children and now everyone's upset. You can't get anything done, but if you face them, you know what? I am feeling anxious. I am feeling upset. I am feeling stressed out. That already is going to help you, um, you know, become a better parent and just kind of, okay, if I'm doing that, what can I do to help myself? Yeah. You know, models for the kid. Hey, it's okay for me to feel too, because, exactly. you know, I think a lot of what gets, um, you know, kind of pushed to the side is that this child is, is fresh in the world. They're relying on you for their safety and they don't know anything yet, no matter how smart, right. They are, how we want to like boost them up, you know, and like all those so things. Like kids are, yeah, exactly. Like my kid is the smartest kid in school. Like that might be true. You know what I mean? And I hope that's the case. I hope he's not, you know, uh, not smart, you know, he's smart. He's, okay. Yeah. You know, like I want to give that to you too, but no matter how smart a child is they're a child, you know, and, and they are sponges. So it's like, look, they're creative, they're brilliant, they're smart, but they rely on their parents to teach them the things that they don't know yet right? Or the things that are dangerous too, like, you know, how do my emotional experiences interact with other people to help me get my needs met? That's a dangerous pursuit if you don't know what you're doing. No, absolutely. I think you bring up a great point. Um, a lot of times parents don't, you know, they are brought up in a way where you cannot not be okay. You know, you have to be okay at all times. And so your child is frustrated, but how come mommy's always okay? You know, and there's, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not saying go chaotic, but you know what? Mommy doesn't feel good. Or mommy's a little sad. Mommy needs one minute. I'll be right back. Or, um, you know, and like my son will say, how are you? And sometimes they say, I'm tired. Oh, you know, and he kind of, okay, that's an option. You know, like yeah. I'm a little sad right now. Or mommy needs to go, whatever it might be, you know, and we kind of put that out there. 
And, um, and then he sees, what do I do when I'm tired? What does she do when she's mad? What, she, what does she do when she's upset? And I think especially in times like this where everybody is very tense, whether they want to or not, like it's just one of those things like, uh, you know, everyone's tense and our children are watching what we do with that tension. And I know a lot of parents right now are good parents and they're probably, you know, saying things they shouldn't have said either. Like I, um, you know, I was on a Zoom call with a couple parents and one didn't know she was um, unmuted. Oh, can you see me? Yeah. So yeah. she didn't know she was unmuted. And so she's going off on her child and, you know, and the conversation for that session was going to be like, when we mess up, when we do get angry, can we go to apologize to our child and say, you know what, mommy was a little upset. Dad was upset or, you know, mommy yelled. He shouldn't have yelled. You know, I know that probably made you sad, huh, mom? You know, and having this conversation for when we do mess up because it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just like the importance of teaching your kids the the process of making amends, you know, and like, and it doesn't have to be this big thing, you know, and that's, that's, you know, it's funny. It's like, those are things I didn't learn until later on in life. You know, like when I started going to Al-Anon and actually working through my own 12 step program, yeah. like what were these resentments and what were my kind of, you know, parts in, in these situations. And now, like, as I, as I get further in the steps, do I need to go back and make amends that I should have made in the moment, you know, and some of them are old. And so it's yeah. like, hey, look, you know, we're going to make mistakes, especially as parents with our kids. But yeah. I, I think what perpetuates, right, the expectations that then lead to resentments and the perpetuation of that process is when people don't apologize to each other. And it's like you see it in media all the time or like on, on your favorite show or something where like there's the prodigal son and the dad and the dad is never accepting of the son and the son's got all these issues. And it's like, look, if, they, if the dad would just say, I'm fucking proud of you, you know, or like the son yeah. would just ask for that you know, then the problem would be solved, you know? That's a whole nother topic, man. That's yeah, but now we got nine seasons of the prodigal son not getting along with his dad and all it requires is an apology. But hey, at least we got a good show out of it. Yeah, but the, that's the thing, like the process, you know, it, I mean, we went a long route, but it, he, maybe he didn't need to go through all that, you know? But it, I think in, especially, I mean, you tell me, but like uh, from what I worked with, a lot of the males, females do not either. I think we're almost even. I know you just gave me like a close eye, like what is she going to say? Whoa, you know? let's see, let's see where this goes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not a male, never been. You know? But um, from what I've noticed and the ones that have spoken to me, they've had a lot uh, of a harder time, you know, just expressing their needs or asking, you know, or even if, whatever might be apologizing because girls are brought up to be like, are you okay? You know, oh, you got hurt, you got a boo-boo, you, you know, and like, tell me what's going on. Let's talk about it. And boys, get up, come on, you're okay. You're a big boy, big person, right? You know, and it's, it, that's how it is pretty much in the Hispanic um, world, you know, there are a few exceptions, but, um, you know, and that's sort of what I've gotten along the way. And now they need something or they're angry with their father for whatever it might be, but they don't talk about it. You just kind of, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Until yeah. at one point, you're not okay and you just, you know, I'm gone. I'm out of here. I can't take this anymore. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's really the depths of the, the family system and, and the patterns get, that get formed there. You know, like what's, what's really interesting is like in the clinical work that I do, I always start with the family tree because the, when two or more are gathered, this is what my therapist shared with me. And this is kind of the theoretical orientation that I take when I'm working with my clients. <laughs> is that when two or more people are gathered, you're falling into the rut of the family role that you fill right? This is family of origin stuff. When you're going down these roads and having those emotional reactions or you're engaging in the same behaviors or you find yourself in a pattern where you're like, 
why is this happening to me again? I start thinking family of origin, right? Because that's where those patterns were taught, right? And it's like, you know, it's, what's interesting about it is these things that can that take really simple solutions are complicated by generational trauma. They're complicated by uh, a lack of society accepting ways in which, you know, males and females can express emotions in a healthy way. And, you know, just speaking from like the male perspective, it's, it's absolutely true. And, and I think in, in the way you are explaining it, right, of like men are told from the very beginning not to express emotions in a way that people can see it. But what's interesting in that paradox is that men do express in the most overt ways their emotions because they get themselves into physical altercations. They break things. You they can be outrageous shit. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's not devoid on like the, the female side of things or the non-binary side of things. It's just yeah. emotions get expressed in, through these reactions, you know, because we're not addressing in the moment. Right. And this is the craziest thing I've learned because you remember when we were in our master's program, like I, I wasn't the most in touch with my emotions back then. This has been a long road. And it's really that identification of like, it's not just what happened right now that's making me upset. It's a perpetuation of any situation like that that I never addressed in the past. And then yeah, it gets to a point where it's at the boiling point and I explode, you know? I'll take it out on someone that it doesn't need to be taken out on. Yeah, yeah, and, and that happens time after time. I think the Bible also talks about like these generational curses, this generational you know, system that keeps happening and people are like, well, that's not fair. Why would God do that? I'm like, no, 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 God's not doing that. We're doing that to ourselves. Mm. You know, a, a father, an alcoholic father having an alcoholic child and, and everything else that happens in between that, you know, um, the mother is probably dealing with who knows what and having these children and they're recreating the same story over and over and over and over. Yeah. Well, you know, it's in, I, I love that you make that point, right? Because th these are the things like in, um, in my 12 step recovery where it's like, Hey, you know, I make a decision to have conversations with my higher power. And I do that every day. And, and I happen to have my senses probably very similar to yours of my higher power. And I made a decision to turn my will and life over to the, to the care of God, as I understand him. And at the same time, my, the, as I do my work, right. The higher power that I connect to isn't there to, to make things happen for me. It's there to remind me that I don't, I, I don't have any control of what's coming next, but what I do have control of is doing the fucking work. I do have control of the next indicated step that I take toward doing the right thing. And then from there, I allow the process to unfold based on whatever God's will is for my life. And I'll tell you what, before I had that kind of like in my mind or a seed planted in my mind or a perspective like that, my life was unmanageable. And as soon as I had that perspective, things kind of just started to fall into place. Now, I'm not saying that's the end all be all, but I know it's the way that works. Yeah, that's it's getting some of that control. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, you know, a lot of times we victimize people and like you, there's no control in your life. You're never going to have control. You're kind of screwed over from all the things that happened to you. And this is where you're going to be. And good luck with that, you know, and uh, instead of saying, you know what? Yeah, maybe some crazy things did happen to you, but you have control. Like you can make changes. You can, you know, I tell parents all the time, maybe you had the worst parents and, and you might be the worst parent today, but what can you do to make a change? Like, do you want to just stay there? Are you done there? Are you going to keep blaming people? Or are you going to say, you know what? I can take control of this. I'm going to take a parenting class. I'm going to take, uh, you know, do these things to kind of learn. And as I learn, like you said, like your mind just kind of starts opening and, and you feel better. Knowledge is power. Definitely. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, 
in the beginning of this work, you know, cause I, I think like the, the things that led me in this direction, like I was very directive in the beginning, like, and that was part of like com- coming from an alcoholic home myself. Like I felt like I had to, I had to be the one with the answers, right. That created safety for me. And so it's like stepping back from that as like a clinician to realize like, Hey, I can give information that guides or like even in your setting, right. Like you utilizing our education and the education and then, you know, kind of interactions with the, the students, parents and, and in your ministry, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the information because here's the educational pieces, but then let's see what you do with it. Right. And, and then if you come and ask me what to do with it, I'm just going to step back again and say, Hey, let's see what you do with this. I don't know. You're going to have to go figure that one out, you know, and then let me know. You know, and, and that's a really important um, part that as parents, we have to model for our children too. That I'm giving you this information, you know, I might even give you a suggestion, but hey, you know, you're the one that's going to make the decision and face consequences. And so many parents screw up their kids because they don't teach them that there's consequences because either parents are hovering over them, anything they do, they don't face a consequence. Mom or dad are there. Let me fix it for you. My poor baby, you know, like he would have never done that. It was a total accident. Let me, you know, and they don't allow them to face these consequences, which are detrimental for growth. They need to have a consequence to learn that decisions bring consequences and if we have children that have that in their mind that everything I do is going to bring consequence um you know that my parents gave me information but they gave me room to grow yeah we would have very successful kids for sure for sure and it's it's kind of uh you know I was having this conversation the other day with a coworker. you remember Cindy Cindy Burlingame yes her yeah. Little yeah yes yes <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I work with her. Uh, we work together at a treatment center and, and I had her on the podcast not that long ago. Like this is the perpetuation, I think, in our society, or at least in Western you know, societies. That's all I can speak to because that's what I grew up in is that perpetuation of codependency. And that word that is, it's like when you say it out loud, people are like, who's codependent? Me You're saying I'm codependent? Like, no, I'm saying we're probably all codependent. That's what our system taught us. Right. But that con- that conversation you were just touching on is you got to get out of the way of the consequence. Right. Because when we obstruct right between behavior and consequence for someone else, we're just delaying the inevitable. And the crazy thing is, it's like the, the kind of painful thing about it is that then we're making our own lives unmanageable. Right. Because we're trying to control someone else's life and we don't have control over that. And the more we try to the more unmanageable our life becomes because we're not focused on our next choice. Yeah. And I think the the key is this, that if we allow our kids to make mistakes when they're younger, they're going to learn a lot faster. Some parents are not letting the kid make any decisions until they hit 18 or they hit 20. Now you're an adult. Poor kid, poor baby. Like you never make a decision. You hand over a car, a credit card, all these things. Now you're an adult, you know, go make adult choices. I've never made a damn choice my whole life. You know, like yeah. you picked what I've worn for every school picture. You picked my school, didn't even let me pick a major, didn't let me pick a college. Like, you know, and now I have all this free will and we have kids that lose their lives because they have no idea that, you know, if I drink too much, if I eat whatever they're offering me, all these things, there's a consequence. Yeah. You know, if I get in a car with this person because they never were making decisions that brought consequences. Um, because a parent would intervene, you know, or hover over them, whatever it might be, or they were too scared. Um, so let parents, let your kids make decisions or choices when they're young, the dumbest choices, let them make them when they're young. Right. Yeah. So that they learn then and there that, Oh, now I have to kind of really think about what I do. 
And it's scary, right? It's scary, you know, letting them make their own decisions because what if they do something that puts them in, in harm's way? But I'll tell you this, parents, you know, I, I've had some of those revelation conversations with my parents who are like, yeah. you did what? I'm like, yeah, I was out fucking, in, you know, running rampant in the fucking streets. It's what I was doing, you know? I started drinking a lot sooner than I should have. I was doing things that probably I, I also don't want to tell you. You know, and, and here's the thing. I turned out just fine. You know, and when those things happen, and, and this is where I really appreciate what you were saying. It's like, you know, my group of friends, it's like we, we were out doing dumb things. But when the consequences came, we had to face them, you know, exactly. and, and that's, a, that's the one thing where I take a deep breath on. It's like my life would have looked a lot differently if I didn't face those consequences for the dumbass things that I did, um, you know, because it pushed me in the direction that I actually wanted to go. It, it opened my eyes to like, yeah. oh okay, I don't want to do this. Yeah, and you have parents that are robbing their kids of, of success in life because they don't let, allow them. You know, you get a phone call from the police and they're like, hey, your son just got left out for blah, blah, blah. What? Okay, let me bail him out right now. Let me get him out. Whatever it is, you know, please, what can we do to avoid? And I'm like, no, you know what, honey? I love you. I know you can figure this out. Yeah. And then you need to pray for them, whatever, but let them face whatever it is so that when they're older, they're not doing the same thing over and over again. Right. Well, let's let's put it in like a like a pop culture perspective. Like, look at Britney Spears, right? Like from a a because uh, she just became relevant again in the mental health perspective with like conservatorship. It's like when she was a kid, right? Like a young teenager, she blew up on the scene and was like the hottest thing and like extremely talented. Like to this day, her voice is like it's amazing. And so she had all this skill and all this talent, and then society took over and averted the consequences of behaviors. And this, is, this isn't just unique to Britney Spears. This is like why you see like every fucking ultra famous person is a drug addict later on in life or has some majorly weird issues going on is because they've averted through finances or fame every major consequence for pretty outrageous behaviors. And then Britney Spears ends up bald you know, and then she disappears for a while, comes back, and now we're hearing she's on a conservatorship. And so, and here's the kicker to all of this, is it's the recreation of the pattern within her system that started when she was a kid. A conservatorship is completely taking away her identity or her options to make her own choices. What yeah. the fuck do you think is gonna happen with the mental health side of things when we don't have a sense of identity or, or a place to make our own choices? We're gonna shave our head and, and uh, have Chris Crocker standing up for us on social media. Yeah, the only thing you can really do is that, right? Like, what do I do? <laughs> You're not letting me do anything. And I think a lot of parents, we kind of do that to our kids. Like, I have this, you know, conservative over your life, and I don't want to admit it. I don't want to face it. Like, is it really? But that's what it is. Like, you can't do anything. You know, I'm, um, you know, I, even when I was a preschool teacher, I, I had a parent one time call me really upset that how come I left their child in mid, like not matching clothes. I'm like, well, your child wet their clothes and you just put, you should have put matching clothes. I'm like, hold on, hold on. You know, you're so upset about that. I'm like, you don't, your child didn't pick that. Oh, I picked my child's clothes. I'm like, well, there's their problem from the beginning. Your child is how old, you know, and you're telling me, well, she's like, well, I'm a single mother. I have nothing to do with this. <laughs> you know, like yeah, you're yeah. not letting them make any choice. You need to figure this out. You know, why do you have that need? Like, you know, Think about that when we're done with this conversation. Why can't your child, you know, do, put on something by themselves, pick anything out? Yeah, um, maybe they pissed all over their clothes because they didn't like what you picked out for them. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that, that's a whole other conversation. That would standing up for themselves, right? Mm. But it, it boils down to that, like, in, in general, we have to let our kids um, do things, our friends, people around us that are going to make dumb decisions and, 
hey, I'm here with you, I stand by you, but you in the end have to make this decision. Otherwise, um, you know, there's like 20 times that, you know, you have a friend asking you for advice, what do I do, what do I do? You've told them 20 times and they're not gonna do it because they don't really care. Yeah, well, you know, and, and, and here's the thing, it, it exists on a gradient scale to, to the degree to which it could be tragic, right? From kind of harmless to tragic. It's harmless on, you know, when you first encounter it in your classroom with the mom making the decisions of what the kid could wear, it, it, it face value, it doesn't have any immediate danger. But then you talk about a conservatorship later on in life for an adult who's struggling with mental health issues. And like, have you ever, have you ever seen the verbiage on a conservatorship? No, it tell me. It's, it's tragic. It's gnarly. It's stripping you of all of your rights. You're not even, here's the thing. This is, and, and I forget exact, the exact verbiage around this, but you don't even have the choice or decision to take your own life. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Who the fuck has control over that if someone decides, right? And I'm not, I will never, ever, and don't skew my words like those who are listening. I don't abdicate. I abdicate 100% against suicidality. But I, I'm not going to sit here and say that anyone has control over someone's choice to take their own life. That's impossible. But we have a system that's perpetuated that kind of codependent loop of like, I'm going to have so much control over your day-to-day -day life that you can't even make a choice on how to take your own life. And, and that just, it, it blows my mind because it's like the ultimate illusion of control. It's the ultimate, and, and it's tragic because then you got an adult and, and when you're sitting in front of someone who's like an adult who's been abusing substances and now they're on a conservatorship because the parents can't trust them and, and the court has given over that right because you know they have a track record of just either overdosing or suicide attempts or self-harm, this person is beaten down they're depressed beyond beyond anything that's almost treatable. I mean, it is treatable, but it's it's pretty difficult. And their their lack of identity is just so palpable in the room. And then you you start having the conversations with parents, and there's really no wiggle room because they're scared. You know, they're yeah. scared. It's tragic. Yeah. And I think I mean parents that are listening, it's all about really understanding like affordable versus unaffordable. Um, and this is this comes a lot from one of the parenting classes that I teach is um, through love and logic. But one of the things that they say is things that are affordable versus unaffordable. We try to use small terms so parents can kind of like click it. Hey, I'm not trying to you know talk big to you. I'm just saying, is this an affordable decision your child can make? Um, you know, or can is this an affordable consequence? Like. Um, you know, example, Halloween candy, you know, they, they have this giant bucket of candy. They're super excited. And what does mom or dad do? What do they do? Okay. They're going to put it on top of the fridge. Um, you know, and you could get one a day, maybe two, if you have silver teeth children, maybe you'll get five a day, you know, at, at most. Right. And these kids are old enough. Maybe they're 13, maybe they're nine, 10 or whatever. Give them the whole bucket. Let yeah, them yeah. figure out what happens. If they're going to throw up that night from eating all that candy, they might be too sick. They're going to learn a valuable lesson. And when they're older, they're not going to drink all of that alcohol. They're not going to, you know, they're going to learn earlier. Let them learn with candy. You know, we, even in that, like, no, 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 he's going to throw up. Okay. Who cares if he throws up? Let him learn that. You know, that's yeah, a valuable yeah. lesson in life. If I consume too much of a good thing or of anything, you know, yeah. there's a consequence. So affordable versus unaffordable. Yeah. You know, and, and I think it perpetuates that conversation too, of like the, the developing of the identified patient. It's like, you know, Oh, they're going to throw up. I, I should, I, I shouldn't let them do that. And then it's like the conversation of like, okay, so are you mad at, at him or her if they do, you know, like then the conversation, cause, and this is where it like perpetuates out of control where the identified patient is the one holding the sickness, right? It's like, 
instead of projecting all over them, it's a process of them looking like, what is it about that that makes you so angry? Why are you angry at your child for making a choice? And for making a choice to eat too much candy. And oh, by the way, if that child is 13, let me tell you what I was doing at 13 years old. I was not only eating all the goddamn candy, but I was out with my friends when my parents thought I was in bed getting drunk. So your 13-year-old is probably doing all kinds of shit that you don't know if you're trying to be that controlling. That's just the way it goes. Kids are going to be kids. And it's scary, but at the same time, it's this beautiful, like, process of coming of age you gotta let your kid come of age it's gonna happen either way they're gonna be adults eventually just like you're saying Melissa like it's just it's gonna happen someday okay so might as well let them do it when they're younger you know in a a, like you're their safety net like at home let them make these dumb little decisions at a younger age you know like there's a (laughs) the parents that like their kid forgot their water bottle oh my god I'm gonna go leave work and go take them their water bottle or hey like my, my child forgot their lunchbox and they're like in third grade fourth grade oh my god I'm gonna leave work like leave whatever it was uh, I have to go drop off this lunchbox you know what let it be let them come home they're gonna be starving they're gonna eat whatever was lunch you know they're gonna eat it then and then the next day guess what they're probably gonna remember to take their lunchbox right or well, <laughs> worst case scenario they make a fucking friend and borrow a granola bar from someone and then that they friend figure it out exactly phone. They'll buy something up. Kids are smart if we let them. We have to allow oh them. Oh my to be god! Yeah, yeah, they'll they're, be hustling they're the next day. Yeah, the next day. Oh wait a minute! <laughs> I'm going to bring ten sandwiches and sell them because I'm not going to. Right. <laughs> and then you have these business kids, you know, doing yeah. all kinds. Of stuff. For yeah, sure. But it's allowing kids to have that opportunity, and it's 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 sad that we rob them, you know. And even in, as a parent, I'm like, okay, what opportunities am I robbing my child of, or even my spouse? Like, um. You know, a lot of times is, um, you know, I, I'm married. I don't think you're married yet, right? <laughs> right? No, but yeah, so even in that, like a lot of times, you know, we see our spouse making a decision. Oh, no, 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 that's the stupidest decision. How did, how could you even, and I want to intervene right away. And I'm like, you know what? Just let him make that decision and let him learn. And, and he's going to learn from it. Or sometimes he probably looks at me like, that is the dumbest thing you could do, but, you know, he'll let me do it. And, and I learn, you know, and it's valuable instead of, um, me talking down, how could you think of doing something so dumb, you know, or how could you, you know, and it's, it's definitely like, can I allow my spouse to grow too? Not just my child, yeah. you know, cause this carries on to all kinds of areas. For sure. For sure. And th- those are the biggest, like, it's those concepts that I didn't realize were, were an issue for me until like, okay, here's the thing I, I, I did and I didn't, you know, and that's the funny thing about awareness is like, I know there's something going on here. There's something off in the way I'm Great. interacting with people but I just can't quite put my finger on it exactly. And then, you know, you, you know, individuals like you and I, we go to a master's program where we're studying psychology and I start to gain a little bit more verbiage around it. And this is the funny thing. And this is, this is where there's a lot of grace around like, Hey, your, your first pursuits in therapy or your first pursuits to grow. It's like, Hey, this is, this is a long journey, right? To grow. We're reparenting ourselves and think about it. Like you're starting out, as a kid, as a child, right? An adult child. And you're trying to reparent yourself. And I didn't realize in the beginning, like how much of an issue until I got to Al-Anon uh, in, in my life was, was trying to um, be the one that always had the answer. And not only that, but like, Hey, didn't you know, if you just did it my way, your life would be a lot easier. And God damn oh. it, that didn't lead to a lot of disconnection for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and why is there that? That's a whole, like, why is there that? need I think a lot not every day but a lot of us go into that you know for that reason we saw things like you know especially if you're the firstborn or you know depending on what's going on like 
it all matters. Like with me, firstborn, my parents are pastors. I grew mm-hmm. up in a church where, um, you know, oh, the keyboard player's gone. Guess who's going to learn the keyboard now? You know, not really? me up there learning on the spot, <laughs> singing the same song for like three months. And that's the only song I know. And we're going to do it on repeat. You know, oh, the, the Sunday school teacher's out. You know, I can substitute. And I had constantly had to be in a position to, I had to fulfill whatever it was and I had to be mm-hmm. good enough. And so then you move on and like someone has a problem. Hey, let me help you. I got to figure it out. You know, and it goes back to that codependency thing that you were saying. Um, a lot of times we think that is just for um, drug addicts, alcoholics. You know, that's just for people that have serious problems. That's there's, you can't fathom that being in your own home. Like, what? Nobody in here is codependent. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. And, and we don't talk about that stuff anyway outside of this house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole other topic. Um, yeah. You know, in Spanish, it's like, don't throw out your dirty rags or something like that. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And I'll be darned, like, me and my husband, that was like one of our arguments. He went out to preach one day, and he, like, made that. And I was like, don't you ever say that again. Right. Like, let them, you know, let them get out and, and share those dirty rags with someone. You know, they need the help. They're tired. They're, they have a bucket of dirty rags, and they keep putting the same thing in, and the house is full of them. Yeah, you know, no wonder, it, you know, it's like, no wonder it smells like shit after a while. Like, I don't want to be in here anymore. Yeah, yeah, people want to leave. Why do you want to leave? You know, like what? Yeah. Uh, I can tell you a couple reasons. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and that power, like that power and control of like, don't talk about what is going on in this house. And like, I love that you identified, right? It, it's not just that there's got to be some form of crazy alcoholism going on in the home. It doesn't even have to be, it doesn't even have to be labeled. We don't even have to talk about like, oh, it's codependency or, oh, it's alcoholism or, you know, whatever the case. And yeah, those are, can you hear those sirens in the background? Yeah. Yeah, shoot. <laughs> I know where you live now. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but you know, that, that concept of like, hey, this is just, this is part of being human. It's catching these patterns of power and control. And, you know, another big word on this is like self-righteousness. And as you were talking about that, it reminds me of this concept of like, you know, working in the mental health field or, or, or any field for that matter. Because I've worked with a lot of clients who've had this experience as well. Years and years ago, I worked with this brilliant clinician. Like She knew everything there was to know, right? Like there wasn't, you weren't going to stump her with a question. She knew the theoretical approaches, whatever. And, you know, we're, we're in the break room, whatever. And, a, and a, another clinician asked me a question but didn't you know if that other clinician was anywhere near and a question was asked, she's going to be the one to answer it. And here's the problem with it is I know the answer too. And she asked me, right? She asked me. And it's, it's that conversation of like, Hey, can we allow, like, it's okay that you're brilliant. It's okay that you're intelligent. All of us, you know, in our own ways are right. But can you allow someone else to, to step oh, man, in. You are preaching to me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Hey, look, let's not, let's not be self-righteous. Let's not nag. Let's yeah. like, you're going to have, it's like, um, you know, my therapist always told me in the way of, and this was huge for me in the beginning is no one can get yours. Whatever it is, it's afforded to you. And this life is afforded to you and no one's going to get that or take it away from you. And if they do, then it wasn't meant for you. It's meant for someone else. And that's okay. And, and you know what, that it rolls back to like, whether it's me, like, oh, I know the answer too, but can I give somebody an opportunity? But mm. same thing with parents, like somebody else wants something and you feel like it wasn't fair for your child, you know, and I've been in situations, even at church, you know, different um, spaces where a parent came up and spoke and like, how come my child didn't get this? You know, and I'm like, 
your child's 18, ma'am. <laughs> like, do you, do you understand <laughs> what's going on here? Like, do you really want to know why they didn't get it? Like, you know, <laughs> but it's like, it's really, how come I didn't get it? Like, it's not even about my child. Like, this yeah. is me. How come I didn't get that, whatever price it was or perfect, whatever it was, my child was worthy. What, you know, and, and we're putting that in our kids that you have to, you have to. And we do want them to succeed, but we also want them to, you know, success is measured by so many different ways. I think there's like this, you always have to get the prize and that's it. But also in the way that you allow other people to kind of step in and, and even standing back. Um, so yeah, I think it's so important. I think when you were saying that, I was like, oh yeah, like I need to work on that area for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like that concept of um, pursuing sainthood, you know, we, I, and my sponsor and I talk about this a lot in, in our program is like, Hey, you know, I, when I walk away from a situation, I still sometimes in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know what? Fuck that person. And that's probably why I'll never reach sainthood. And at this point I'm okay with that. But the conversation <laughs> of like moving and inching closer to like this place of peace and serenity. And it's like, you know, the, this conversation of letting go of the, the construct of what society has told us is successful, right? The accolades, the accomplishments, being the, the human doing versus the human being. And I've always loved that distinction. We're called human beings, not human doings. And it's like the, you know, cause I've sat across from, and, and, and even currently in my, my clinical practice, I've sat across from people who are multimillionaires. They've got everything you can imagine. They've got the big ass house. You know, they had the big ass career. They had all the nice, you know, the Mercedes Benz, they had the Rolls Royce that, you know, like I'm talking like people with lots of yeah. money. And on the flip side of that, I've, I've worked with people who like, they could barely rent a studio apartment. They're working at Pizza Hut and they're just fucking on cloud nine because they have recovery. And you know, what's interesting is like on both of those, those spectrums is like both of them found the common ground through letting go of all of the materialistic kind of stuff, letting go of all of the concepts of like what society tells us like money and things like that. And you know what they found peace in is that I'm no different than you. And it, 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 it became a spiritual um, kind of pursuit. And, and here's like to take the sting out of it, I think for certain people who, who may either be agnostic or atheist, like I'm not saying a religious view, it became a spiritual, like something bigger than themselves. And the first avenue for them was I'm no different than anybody else. I'm on the same playing field. And, and it's just not, it's nice to see that unfold because it reminds me, you know, nice things are great and I like nice things, but that's not what's going to make me feel fulfilled in this life. Conversations like this are going to make me feel you know, conversations with my higher power where things click are going to make me feel fulfilled. Writing is going to make me feel fulfilled, not the car, you know, not the house. Yeah. And I think um, like growing up in a, in a Christian home or in a church setting, we constantly hear that, like, you know, um, what good if the man, you know, gained the world, but lost his soul, you know, you hear these concepts like, yeah, but it's not what they're showing you. They're showing sure. you like, dad's not coming home because he's working 24 hours a day, right. you know? Right. You know, like we're saying this, but that's not what's being taught. It's like, we're, it's like this, you know, so like, I hear what you're saying. I hear that, you know, that, that I'm blessed, you know, whether I have nothing, but then how come like, you know, this is going on and the, yeah. the behavior that we are modeling, that we're modeling to our kids that we're modeling to, you know, as ministers to the people that, you know, are in our congregation all around, you know, that, yes, I can believe that, but am I really living that? Am I really showing that? Right. Right. Well, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think that's uh, initially like, at least with 
maybe some atheists who, you know, were transitioned uh, spiritually from like other spiritual beliefs to like not believing in anything, but a lot of agnostics too, who just don't believe in a higher power. I think that's initially like in the, in the people close to me in my life who believe those things, that's what pushed them away was hypocrisy. You know, and I get that because like I have a, a pretty close, um, you know, and, and, a one-on-one relationship with my sense of a Christian God. And I have no problem admitting that out loud. It's the, the concept of, I think what's kept me away from church for a long time is, is I grew up in a lot of churches where that hypocrisy was so glaring that I was just like, dude, like, no, I'm not interested in all that. You know, like you're, you're talking about like, you know, being impeccable with your word and you're cheating on your fucking wife. And now the whole church knows like, dude, God damn it. Stop. Like I'm not down for this. And, and then it's, uh, you know, there's also the, the concept for me later on in life of like, hey, that doesn't have to mean that's every church. And that's been, you know, the concept of me finding my fellowship later in life as, as an adult. It's like, hey, you know, just because, because that's the recreation of the pattern too, that every other situation's got to be based on that situation. That's not true. It's not how life works. Yeah. And I think we have this, you know, as, as we journey in whether it's a relationship with a higher power, whatever it might be, or just in life. Like at some point in our life, we kind of want to see this ideal like person or whatever it might be. Like this is kind of what I want to walk towards. And then at some point, you um, you know, like as a Christian, the Bible says that you know, fix your eyes on God because every single person that you meet is going to be a hypocrite, whether they want to or not. <laughs> you know, at one point or another, like you know, my flesh is trying to do one thing, my spirit's trying to do another thing, my spirit says do this, but my flesh completely did the total opposite. You know, and as you progress, like you were saying, that it just becomes about being a human being. Like I am a human being. Like. I, I am at where I'm at and I need to stop with the comparison or like, you know, let me find whether it's a church or whatever, someone that is like this, we're all on, on our own walk. You know, some people are taking escalators, some people are taking elevators, some people have, you know, been crawling the whole way there, yeah. but we're all human beings. Like we're all struggling one way or another. And I think that the sooner that we kind of get to that understanding, you know, depending on what we've been through, some of us have been through so many things that we're not going to get there until, you know, way later down the road. But you had mentioned earlier, like, sometimes you walk away from someone, you're like, I just want to say, you know, this and that. (laughs) But at some point, you're like, I don't need to say anything. Why do I need to have a last word? Why do I need to be the one to correct them? Why do I need to tell them that they're wrong? Why do I need to, you know, and I posted recently, like, um, sometimes you might never get an apology. And that's okay. Like, you know, some people spend 20 years, 30 years angry at, um, you know, at their father, at someone who abandoned them, at whatever it might be, someone who did them wrong. And, you know, they can't progress because they're still waiting on something, you know, to be fixed. And at some point, you know what, I'm a human being. Yes, this happened, but I, how, how can I move forward? You know, what, yeah. what do I do here? You know, it's, it's that, it's a difficult conversation, you know, and, and this is, this is something, especially like when you're treating someone who's had like complex trauma, you know, it's like, that horrific thing or things that have happened should have never happened. Like I'm not, you know, it's, it's kind of that like cliche statement of like uh, everything happens for a reason. Well, I believe that in the sense of like God has a plan, right. Or, Or God's will for your life. But the conversation of, you know, the bad things, right. It's, it's not, that statement is not a justification for the horrific things that have happened to you in your life. The conversation that, you know, when I work with individuals, female, male, or, or any identification on the, the non-binary side of things, you know, is, is the conversation of how then, right, based on those horrific things that happened, 
are we utilizing to perpetuate further behaviors in our present day? And that's a very difficult conversation to have because it's fucking painful that those situations that should have never happened to us that were horrific are actually fueling some of the behaviors that might perpetuate activation seeking or, or putting ourselves in compromising situations. And we have to look at it. You have to, or else the change behavior is not going to come. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, everything happens for a reason that, that like thought, you know, and in, in the Bible, there's so many different verses that, um, you know, talk about like we, we plant and we sow, like, you know, things like that. And somehow, um, I think with, uh, you know, the Bible says that people perish because of the lack of, you know, because of the ignorance, sorry. Mm -hmm. And it's so true in the church. Um, you know, a lot of people have had tragic, horrendous things where I'm like crying with them as they're sharing these stories with me. And you hear like of the people that talk to them and, and their response, like, oh, well, God wanted this to happen. This was in God's plan. And I'm like, you know, I don't think that's how it works. You know, that, yeah, yeah. it wasn't, you know, but you put that in there and now like, okay, so I'm supposed to walk away with God's plan was that I'd be molested and, you know, trigger warning, trigger warning, you know, that I, you know, be like that, you know, this horrendous lifestyle that was not in his plan. But we, even with the verbiage in the Christian world, the things that we like, oh, everything happens for a reason. I had a friend who got pregnant really young and oh, everything happens for a reason. No, honey, like your parents didn't teach you about protection. You did it. You know, like there was a right. long list of things and, Therefore, voila, you know, this is what yeah. happened. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the perpetuation of the denial of the issue. Like, I don't have to talk about this issue because it, it would take too much time, too much effort, and it'd be too painful. It was out of my control. Everything happened for a reason. You know, I right. take no right. control over this situation. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it's like, you know, when you hear that, like, especially the context you gave, when it's like something horrific that's happened to someone and someone's like, God wanted that to happen to you. It's like, well, did God want me to sock you in the fucking face? Like, I like, <laughs> you know, like God this is... <laughs> knows I use something like that all the time. I like, I break that with this. Okay. So if I get up and slap you right now and they're like, what? I'm like, I really feel like it, honestly. And they're like, what? <laughs> Can I just, you know, is that God or is that me? Tell me right now. Tell me right now. Cause I'm really close to doing it. And they're like, well, that's you. I was like, but if I do it, was, was that God, you know, like, yeah. and just kind of understanding that and, and just start speaking really in tongues tough. and slapping people in the face. <laughs> <laughs> was that God or was that me? You know, and, and, and that's a whole nother thing. Like we, um, you know, we, it's always good to blame somebody. It's always right. good to, you know, when we've suffered a lot, like we struggle between two things, either one, like everything happens for a reason. I have no control or why did this happen? I have to figure it out so that it doesn't happen again. Mm. You know, it's like, I, I'm in between one of those two. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's this book called heart wounds by Tian Dayton. And she talks about the, the connection between grief and loss and trauma. And, and it's interesting when she talks about like, you know, and, and I think as you were talking about that, it like sparks up the conversations around like lost identity or loss of innocence and kind of that kind of stuff. It's like that, that balance between denial and like yearning, like yearning for an answer, right? Yearning yeah. for a solution. <clears throat> and, and it's just like, when you look at it in the context of, of kind of how the human psyche works, it makes so much sense. It's like, God damn it. We're just in pain. We're just in pain. You know? Yeah. That's what it is. Honestly, we are all, um, pain and pain have inflicted pain, whether we want to or not, you know, and have received, I think we're, it's just like that domino effect, you know, just it's pain on pain. And, um, even with that, like, you know, with this whole pandemic thing going on and I'm, I'm so over, like, it's like coronavirus all day, right? But <laughs> yeah. it, it's relevant because a lot of people are trying to figure out like, 
okay, like, you know, I've known, maybe till this point, we've probably heard of like, you know, ministers, like all kinds of people that have gotten infected, probably like 50, 60 people. We know probably like 30 people that have died, um, you know, at this point. And um, one of the things that always happens is that people ask, well, do you know how they got infected? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's back to like, I'm like, what is that? What is that going to do? <laughs> like, you right. Know right. Yeah. Like how is that going to change? <laughs> yeah. The, and that's literally the, the face you gave me, that's literally my face. Right. Like, right. The, the squinting. Uh, like, what? Yeah, and I've heard people ask, like, you know, the person just said, and my grandfather just died, you know, from coronavirus, or in my, and how did they get infected? I'm like, you missed, they they just experienced a loss. Right, like, like, hello, McFly. Like, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's like when you're in a group therapy session, and someone is, like, bearing all, and then you got the guy, you got the guy in the corner, who's, like, not, never engaged, he's, like, on a, on a tablet or something. And then he looks up and he's like, uh, have you ever used heroin? And it's like, talk about missing the boat, bro. Like you both used heroin. We know that that's the content, right? You're lost in the sauce, bro. What is the feeling? You know, what is the feeling underneath? And that's what this human was just trying to express to you. And, and we lost it. You were, you were just so not engaged. And that's what happens in society. It's like, what does it matter how they were infected? They died. He yeah. died. And can, can can I not answer that question right now while I'm grieving, please? Like, how insensitive of you? Yeah, and it goes back to you know us being selfish. Like one of the things I always tell people is that when you get married, um, you realize how selfish you are, right? That's when you actually realize it. I think, and some people that are blessed figured it out before that. But we're very selfish. Like conversations always want to go back to us, you know, or like, you know, and even in that, like, you know so how does that affect me or what can I do? Or like you said, like, dude, did you ever do this? You know, back to that, even, even in that, like we're all human beings and we're very self-centered. We're just thinking about ourselves, but if we can take that step back and okay, let me be still. I think we were talking about that earlier, like just kind of like sitting with what's, with, with what's going on and, and, and it's uncomfortable. I want to take control or I want to go into extreme denial. Yeah. You know, and, and like, I think, it's because I always like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And, and even as I say that, like the, the truth of the matter, if I'm just going to be impeccable and transparent with my word is I haven't always wanted to be uh, giving people the benefit of the doubt. It's not a hundred percent of the time. Sometimes I'm like, dude, I don't, I'm not going to give you the light of day. I'm going to be really angry at you right now. But more often than not, I, I try to be an optimist and, and have the conversation of like, hey, I think they're coming from a compassionate place. They're asking the question because on some level, a, a base level, yeah. they want to engage. They want to to empathize. But this is this is also a very interesting conversation I heard in a training recently is the difference between, in the benefit, right? Like when we're actually connecting with people, is the difference between empathy and compassion, right? Empathy is great right? And putting yourself in someone else's shoes and understanding, you know, maybe, hey, like I might have had a similar feeling. Compassion is actually giving someone space to feel their feelings. And one of the best ways that I've like learned in my personal life when I take my therapy hat off, but especially when I put my therapist hat on and walk with people in their lives, is that compassion is really this conversation perpetually of asking yourself, hey, what's my part of it? What's my part in it? And so instead of asking someone like, hey, how are they infected? Maybe asking yourself, why do I want to know how they were infected? What's happening inside of me? It makes me want to ask these questions. Am I scared? Am I feeling hurt that they're gone? Am I sad? Am I angry? Right? Like, I imagine that's all true. And anxious and spinning and all the shit. I imagine it's all true. But it comes off like this. (laughs) 
Yeah, but it comes out like, oh, how were they infected? Like, um, I don't fucking know, man. Uh, coronavirus yeah. is invisible, bro. It just fucking happens. It's just there. Yeah, that's, you know, and I think that's been one of the things right now with a lot of people, um, you know, wanting to know, like, what can I do? There's people that right now that are obsessed with watching the news all day. Like, if I just yeah. get that one piece of information that's going to just save the whole world, you know, and I'm like, okay. You know, but it, it's just that thing, like, <laughs> I'm so anxious, I'm so stressed, I'm so, you know, upset, and, and this is the one thing that I feel like is going to help me, but in reality, it's doing the whole opposite. Now we have yeah. people that are literally obsessed, like, obsessive-compulsive on, you know, trying to figure out, like, the cure in their mind by, you know, picking up, right. like, another, you know, news and, and stuff like that. It's just... It's a lot. Yeah, a like, lot. look, I'm, I'm okay with any safety precautions a human wants to take. Like, hey, look, if you want to do the whole, um, you know, what is it, the uh, the Wise brand and get all the, you know, preserved food and live in your basement for six months with, you know, unlimited resources, do it. I don't care. If you want to have sanitizer on you at all times and wear masks, great. And and I think we should be wearing masks just because it's part of what we're asked to do right now. And in the conversation of like, then, you know, all of the different things that we can do kind of per, like they dissipate away at a certain point as far as like, Hey, just get to a place where we can sit and get past this, you know? And, and in the beginning of this coronavirus, and here's my long winded round the barn, why I bring that point up of like, just do whatever you're going to do. That's fine. But don't watch the fucking news. Don't watch television over and over and over again looking for the next story on coronavirus because it's just going to make you spin. Because yeah, the news is news, designed. Right. The news is designed to tell you bad things. And when you hear bad things over and over again, what are you going to feel? You're going to feel scared, anxious, You need to make afraid. a video just on that, like a quick one-minute video so we can just like, you know, put it out there for people because people are not, are not understanding that, you know, they're yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard one to wrap your mind around because I think news has been so ingrained, right? But like, you know, it, it's interesting, like in the podcasts or, you know, the different books and things that I've been reading lately, it's the conversation of like, who do you even trust in the media these days? There, there yeah. is no checks and balance within, you know, the news system anymore. Or any of the major, um, you know, kind of news providers are all just throwing out like these clickbait stories. Yeah, and, whatever and you sell more, I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I, you know, I would rather listen to things like this where it's people with their feet on the ground in, in different places sometimes that are just kind of like having conversations about how to, you know, from time to time take care of your mental health or, or conversations that are about something different. Like, hey, you know, I don't need to hear about coronavirus. I know when I walk outside my door, there's a possibility of a dangerous virus out there that I don't want anything to do with. And that's just the state of the reality of the world we live in right now. All of the other stuff is just, it's just the milieu and content and details that, that we can get lost yeah. and go around and around. And that's part of like, when, when this first hit, I was working in a, a mental health trauma treatment center. And I work at a different one now, but I was, I was working at this, this other one in Newport when this all first hit. And the very first thing I brought in was a coronavirus workbook, like legitimately straight up workbook to address like the anxiety and the sitting still and the lack of control and gratitude list. But one of the first things it discussed, like on page two, was do not watch the news. Don't do it. Find other avenues. Do not yeah. watch the news. Read books. Watch a television show. You know, listen to music. Talk to friends. Do, don't turn on the news. Yeah, because at the end you have to ask yourself like, okay. 
you know, yes, this exists, or if I don't want to believe it, whatever, whether I believe that or not, something's going on. What is my end goal? Do I want to, um, you know, look at, look back at 2020, 2021, 2022, however long this is going to be, you know, realistically. And like, that was a time where I was terrified where I was, you know, some people are really just trying to survive right now, but they're making decisions based on so much fear, you know, like, okay, I need to sit down for a little bit, kind of like calm down. Like, um, we know someone who, when it happened, they're like, I'm leaving. Like, Oh, you know, they wanted to bunker out and they went into the wilderness, like the whole thing. And I told my husband, realistically, they might not be able to do that until this runs through, you know, they just picked up their bags, saw like three things on the news and they said, let's run for it, you know? Um, and it's, some people can do it. Some people cannot, but if I'm watching the news all day, if I'm, you know, like, like you said, like if I'm just filling my brain up with that or my mind, like, you know, it's just stemming my fears. I'm going to look back at 2020 as the worst time of my life. Like where I was scared, where all I could think about. And I mean, just think about in general, like being on, um, you know, on a screen all day like that, that in itself is super unhealthy. And and how much more listening to, you know, garbage at some point, you know, like you turn on one thing and they're telling you wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear, you know, back and forth. And, and, you know, right when this happened too, I was invited to talk to, um, to a few different churches on the topic, you know, and that was one of the things like right now we need to worry about sanity. Like I don't need you to spew politics from, you know, a pulpit. I don't need you to, you know, give me whether you think I should wear a mask or not, or whether you think this is against the word of God or, you know, not, I just need you to help people right now. Your congregation, you're a sheep or whatever you want to look at, you know, they are scared. They're suffering. They're terrified. They're anxious. What can you give them to help, you know, in, in this time? Yeah, what resources can you offer? And you know, it's it's so fascinating. Like I, I uh, as you were just sharing, like um, you know, kind of the speaking at the churches, like and having those things like lined up right before this all hit. Like right as this, like everything was shutting down. It's funny because I was about to give a, a talk at this. Uh, it was called Meeting of the Minds, and it happens in Anaheim, and it's this two day conference. And there's like professionals that are like trying to advance mental health, whether it's like schools police departments, fire stations, mental health professionals, like all that. And, uh, and I was going to be speaking on power and control and like the, the process of like letting go, you know, and it's just like how fitting that like I have to let go of this desire to like want to do that because we can't have big gatherings of people. And it's just like how fitting was that that was going to be the conversation. And now I've got to sit with that myself. Like yeah. the, there's a huge call to action for all of us with, Hey, I'd like to go and see a movie right now, or I'd like to go and, and I went, here's the thing. I, I, I sometimes will go for a late night walk uh, on the beach because I live real close to Newport beach. And I went the other night and I left because normally when I go in the evenings, there's like no one there. And this is like pre coronavirus. I went yeah. on Thursday night and it was, I mean, packed, packed. And it's like, look, people, I'm not saying you got to you gotta stay locked in your houses at all times. I think we're past that point. I think there needs to be a balance. But at the yeah. same time, like, this rebellion and combativeness, like, that's not going to help you. It's it, like, I'm not even talking about, like, help anyone out. It's not going to help you. It's, it's just, it's neurotic as fuck, you know? Yeah. And, and that goes back to, like, you know, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Like, these people are just stuck in denial you know, I get it. Like we all have different values. Some of us don't believe whatever it might be, you know, but at the same time, like this is what, you know, we're kind of being told to society and my neighbor is probably freaking out and needs me to wear a mask, you know, or whatever it might be, you know, or maybe they have like someone in their home who really will get sick from this. Or maybe in like, can I move past my denial? Like there's like, you know, I had someone who told me, 
this doesn't exist. Like, and I'm like, dude, my grandma just died today from coronavirus. Like literally like they just passed away today. Not true. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, 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 and I'm like, okay, block, delete. Like you're not a friend for, <laughs> for some time until you come to some type of sense. But even in that, like, okay, we never went to the beach before, but now that this happened, oh, we're going to go to the beach. And our whole, you know what? All of my cousins and me, like, you know, the whole city is going to the beach, you know, yeah. to show them like our denial is real. Yeah. You, you know, you know what else too? like on top of the denial, it's that emotional experience of entitlement, right? It's not even, it's not even the, the base concept that, that like society uses of entitlement, which those is a good definition for it too, of like the privilege and things like that. But like the emotional experience of entitlement, how dare you take this away from me? Like I deserve this. Like how so? How come you deserve this? Don't you deserve safety too? Doesn't the person next to you deserve safety? Don't, shouldn't they be entitled to that? You know? And if not, then why are you entitled to this? Like that's where entitlement becomes a bullshit conversation. You know, it's like, look, man, let's just look out for ourselves. And if we do that consistently enough, we're looking out for other people. That's the way it works. And it goes back to the parenting side, you know, that parents put that in their child. Like you, you know, you're the best, you're the all-star, you're all, whatever it might be. And they never face any consequences. And so now they want to go into this store and be served with no mask on and, you know, are throwing things at people and are angry that they're not, you know, having it their way when people are like, no, we're refusing the service if you don't have a mask on, you know, and your money can't buy your way out of it. Your whatever it might be, you know, it's not going to get you. Out of it. And that is enough for some people to like lose it. You know, they're yeah. full on losing it. And you, we see it on videos. They full on lose it because there's something that they cannot control. You know, right. they cannot control right. people, you know, allowing them in or not allowing them because they don't have a mask on and, and it's just enough. Yeah. Yeah. You know that. And it's like, now let's talk the adult child, right? You're throwing a tantrum because emotionally you didn't feel like your need was met. And the, it's, it's the perpetual conversation that I think a lot of people, it's just, they're either going to get it in time or they're never going to get it. It's a conversation of like, Hey, you're the only one that can meet your needs. I can't read your mind. Right. And so we're going out into the world at all times in Western civilization, expecting every, the customer is always right. Everybody else needs to meet my needs. Like, well, where the fuck did you learn that in your home? Probably. Yeah. Probably. But yeah. I, I wanted to, I wanted to take a step back just for a moment. Cause you mentioned earlier a uh, parenting course you offer. Are you doing that through your ministry? Are you doing that like as a, as a thing you do on your own? Is it something you market yeah. yourself? Like, how do you do that? Um, so for work, I work with NOC, North Orange Community College of Education. So like I'm at Fullerton, Cypress, like all these different colleges. We go to different um, elementary schools right now. We're just remotely. But what I was doing, um, you know, through my master's in clinical psychology, I was able to find this, which I love because I love teaching. And basically, um, we would meet with a group of parents, maybe 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. And we do like a full three, uh, it was like a six week, three hour um, courses that we were doing. And we were talking about things like, um, you know, empathy versus sympathy and how giving your child empathy helps them. You know, what, um, if you have a child who's experienced trauma, how empathy, you know, is necessary because if you're coming at them to get them in trouble, they're terrified. Their brain is not thinking like, okay, what, what did I, you know? Right. Um, you know, and so it just covers a lot of that. Um, one of the huge things that we cover too is allowing kids to make these um, decisions so that they can face these consequences at a early age. So it's just a lot of, um, you know, like psychology 101, but also, um, but it's not therapy, but it's in a group setting. So parents are asking questions, you know, they're being yeah. very vulnerable 
sharing like my child just said they want to kill themselves you know are they doing this for attention or is it because it's serious you know i'm like well treat it like if it was serious okay then we're gonna get you help because when someone makes this claim or that you know there are consequences for that you know and, and let's get you the help so that's one of the things that i do um you know they're at work and then the other thing is um they have me do like a parent in me class where the parents can actually come in with their kids and um i play music i play different instruments with them and they kind of just kind of I kind of see their interaction with the parent and the child and give them some activities to do and kind of sit back, you know, and, and kind of help them, um, you know, and understand how they communicate with their child, what they do. And if I need to add anything else, you know, but it's just really me modeling behavior. Now go home and model some back with your child, the way that I'm responding to your child, the way that I'm, you know, I'm doing that. And then ministry wise, um, prior to all this happening, you know, I was doing like, um, a lot of conferences for women in different churches. I would get invited and we would talk about, uh, just healing, even like for me, it was even like if I could just bring a little bit of like, you know, mental health exists, you know, and yeah. with the body, like if I can just bring that out there and, and you're like, oh, okay, like, so I can kind of get help or I'm dealing with something and it's okay for me to say something like God, God doesn't think that I don't have faith because I'm struggling with depression or anxiety. Um, you know, a lot of the, like, I've also been invited to a lot of retreats, um, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever been to one of those like camp things where like they send all the teens and all the youths. And yeah. And, and I love it because, um, you know, I kind of just give them a little bit of my background that way they can aspire to like, Hey, I can actually get an education. Some of the, maybe like 90% of the kids that I've seen have nobody that's gone to college, you know, and I'm the right. first person and I'm a Christian and I'm a woman. And they're like, what? Like, you know, and you're up on a pulpit speaking to me, like you can get an education and be a Christian. Like you can, it's not against God, like, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, and so I, you know, I kind of talk about, I, I try to give like a brief one one like if you're struggling, there's God, there's so, there's so many different things. Um, you know, and we talk about some of the triggers in life, a lot of the trauma, and I, I kind of discuss some of the things that are traumatic for people and how they affect their brain and how maybe they're struggling in school because there's things that they haven't dealt with and, you know, different things. And at the end, I get so many kids that will like, I let them send me little questions and I have 13 year olds that are, um, you know, telling me like, I, I was raped, I was abused, I was molested, I, you know, and start bringing out all their triggers that they were never able to tell their parents because they felt like, um, you know, some of them did, and the parents just, just said, well, you know, that kind of happens. It is what it is. Like, they don't know how to respond to that. So yeah. with, with me getting all that information, what I also started doing was um, having workshops where I would educate parents on sexual abuse prevention and intervention. So what can you do to kind of prevent, like, at least what's in my possibility to avoid my child having to deal with something like that? And then what do I do if my child or if my friend, you know, or their kid comes to me and tells me that? Because that's the biggest thing, the, the way that parents react or that first person that, you know, is told, hey, this happened to me. And that, you know, immediate reaction is going to yeah. set them off for life pretty much. Yeah. So that's sort of what I've been doing. It's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a huge factor in, in the direction of the coping strategies, I think, to get utilized, especially like the first offense or violation, you know. And, and I won't speak too much of this because I think it's like such a wide um, variety of responses. But, you know, these are the things where like you start talking like the, the traits and features of personality disorders and the structure of those things that get formed early based on how your caregivers respond to really tragic violations. Um, and, and there's a lot of other ways that personality structures form, but that's that's one um, that teaches you how to respond to get your needs met. It can become pretty fucking outrageous the ways people use that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, I just like that you're preaching today on how important it is for the parents 
to focus on the things that they can do and the things they have control over because especially when it comes to to working with kids you know like uh, when we first got out of grad school that's andrew and i went to olive crest um and, and i was there for about a year um, and that was the biggest uphill battle was having the conversations with the parents of like in subtle ways trying to remind them just to kind of not even like, hey, you got to look at yourself, but just invitations of like, hey, check out this resource. Like, no, fuck you. Hey, check out this support group. No, fuck you. Hey, you know, like, have you checked in with Don't a therapist? Don't tell me what you do, man. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't tell me how to raise my kid. Like, I'm not, I'm, shit, man, I'm telling you how to take care of yourself. <laughs> and like, I don't even want to be here. I'm just here because court mandated here, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's this yeah. goddamn six-year-old's fault that we're even here. Like, yeah, because yeah, that six-year-old has that much power. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's one of the reasons why I, you know, I don't know if you remember, but like going into the program, um, you know, I obviously I believe in God and I'm very open about that, but I had prayed and I really felt like God was putting me in this field, but I did not feel like I was going to be a, a clinical therapist. And I think I had mentioned that a couple of times, like I yeah. feel like I'm led here, but I don't feel like I'm led. Maybe down the road I am, but right now I'm not. You know, and because I'm able to have those conversations with the parents on a pulpit, on a microphone, they have to listen to me, you know, they have yeah. to And I'm just like, boom, 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 you know. <laughs> and, and a lot of them, like, you know, it's kind of like I'm throwing out my net and like, I'll have like 10 come back in and tell me, how do I respond? My daughter literally just told me what you said and I have no idea what to say. And then I can kind of open that door. You know what? You need to see a therapist. Like there's people and like, really? Yeah, they're, you know, they're, so that's not like, you know, I'm not believing God. I'm like, no, absolutely not. God created brilliant minds, people that go into different fields to help you, to help me. Um, and that's one of the biggest things that I do. Like I always tell parents, how many of you want, you know, like I start off with like, how many of you want the, the schools to educate your children on sex and on, no, no, like that's all their responses, right? And I'm like, well, then how many of you are doing it at home? And they're like, Right. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> like, you, yeah. know, you know, and just like bringing these small little topics for them. And for them, that's like, whoa, like, you know, some of them have never had an education. They've, you know, and they're doing as best as they can. They were probably, you know, dealing with their own trauma and then having children, um, you know, and trying to like separate the two, but there's no way, you know, and inflicting right. the same thing. So it's just, it's for me, it's been a privilege and an honor to, be doing this um you know i don't know what god has in store for me but it's just it, it's been very exciting to see that people are a lot more open to it i, I mean i think in years ago it was like you couldn't even be a woman up there and sharing anything you know but they're, yeah. they're well i think it's, it's i think it's powerful you know and and another thing too that's like exciting and, and powerful too is i remember when we were in school and uh, what was the course that we had together where we had to show videos? You remember that where we had to like yeah. show our work? Um, you know, for those listening, right? I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of clinicians who are listening who, who understand this too. It's like when you have to record your sessions and then show them in front of a class yeah. with other clinicians that are growing too. Like, God damn. Yeah. Uh, but that, yeah. I remember those classes and you'd show your work and, and uh, Andrew and I would always have the kind of like, gosh, she's just like so naturally talented. You know, and, and then to hear you say, right, because this is what would spark conversation is to hear you say, like, I don't know if at this point, like, I'm directly wanting to head into the field to be a therapist. So I remember thinking, like, what a shame, you know, what a shame. Yeah. But and you said that. Yeah. You, right. that. you literally yeah. said that. <laughs> yeah, because you, you are talented at this stuff. But I think to, to be able to be, you know, four years off graduation, five, almost five years off of graduation and seeing, like, where 
those passions have taken you and the ways you've been able to utilize it. I think it's, it's also like, it's just an inspiring thing. I think for people to hear is like, Hey, you can come into this field and, and get that foundation and utilize it in so many different ways because it's, and I think it's just so important, right? We've got to take this out to, to our community. And that's, that's what I see you doing is taking it to your ministry, taking it to the schools, taking it to families and being able to speak on it. You know, it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. And, and I think for me, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm a gateway to therapists. <laughs> like, you know, I can, yeah. Hey, let me refer you. Let me really, that's an option. And, you know, I, I did like TV. I was on a radio, um, you know, show and like every time I can, like I throw in like, because I, for me, I'm so passionate about, um, you know, children healing from child abuse, which is really adults, you know, like that yes. heal from that because it's like what one in every four, it's horrible. And so I always do bring that up. Like every single time I get the time to speak, I bring that up because I know that my church family is dealing with this stuff and they think nobody knows, mm. you know? And so I kind of like, just, even if it's like once I'm like, I know this is going to be triggering for some people, but I know that some kids are dependent on their parents listening to this information and doing something. And, you know, I was on radio and I, I brought it up and it was about education. And I just kind of like threw that in there and we got a ton of calls from parents. Like my son just reported that this happened to them. What do I do? You know, yeah. and, and, you know, and they're not turning to the therapist, they're turning onto the radio, they're trying to turn into the pastor to find out what to do. Um, yeah. You know, and if they're not, if they're not being led by God and being wise and have any knowledge on the topic, and they're giving feedback, that is not godly. You know, yeah. there's, we have people that are speaking that are pastors speaking from a profession that they do not know, you know, like, Oh, you know, like there's pastors that legally want to say, well, don't do nothing. Actually, legally, you have responsibilities. You know, this kid just reported that that member in your church right. did that. And, and the pastors are allowing the member and the, you know, the, the, the poor victim and the, the person that did this to coexist together in this church without doing anything. And yeah. so it's just trying to break that. I, I mean, I love that you're, you're voicing that, you know, from the standpoint of like, Hey, I, I, I'm all for whoever wants to step into the realms of abdication for mental health. But I think like, you know, individuals like you and I have a duty to abdicate for, I think there's a distinction between those of us who have gotten advanced degrees in this and the para professional who doesn't have the education or the understandings or even as you were just highlighting, because this is where the dangerous part comes in with the paraprofessional. And what I mean by that is like the side, the, the kind of like alongside the mental health professional, like a pastor or a life coach or um, some version of like a school counselor, right? The, or a, um, uh, a substance use like counselor, you know, like the paraprofessional. Or it's like, hey, we need you, and you, you, you have like first touch a lot of times with these people. Teachers would be in that realm, but the dangerous part, and I've talked to a lot of teachers about this, especially, is you've got to know the laws and ethics behind when this person tells you a very, very crucial and time-sensitive piece of mental health information, right? Especially around suicidality, because these are dangerous claims yeah. you know and, it, and it, a lot of times they'll get like oh i know the kid and they'll brush it off and it's like you don't you don't know anyone you trust me you don't know anyone because unless they're exactly telling you 100 percent the truth then you don't know a single thing about this person and here's the thing since when have you ever told someone 100 percent the truth yeah humans don't do that and so you don't know this person and and to make a bold claim like that is so outrageous that that's exactly why you got to have the mental health professional or someone there with the education to abdicate 
or actually this is what we got to do because yeah. I think people get blinded by counter transfers. Yeah, we've got to give them some interventions at this point. Like, I mean, ministers, if maybe some of you are listening and you have pastors or, you know, or maybe you are, whatever it might be, like, it's so important for you to, if not, like, at least take a course in this, have resources available and say, thank you for telling me, thank you for sharing me, you know, with this with me, I, you know, I have something. I've had a lot of people um, call me and they're like, you know, so-and-so just said they want to kill themselves. What do I do? You know, and I've even got, I went to a, a church a while back and with my husband, he was ministering and um, the pastor was like, can you just come over and pray for this girl? She wants to commit suicide. And, you know, and I'm like, just pray for her. That's it. <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean? You know, and I'm like, can I sit with her and talk with her just at least like a little bit to kind of see where she's at? And, you know, she was like, it's because nobody listens to me. Like, you know, I'm telling them, like, all this stuff. I'm like, you know, she needs more than just prayer. Yeah, we can pray for her. But I'm like, I'm going to pray for this father that he can do the right thing and kind of instruct him, like, you need to get her this help. If she makes, like, you know, these claims, if she mentions these kind of things, and at some point you need to call 911, like, you need to get yeah. serious help, you know. It's not just let me pray for her and let her go to sleep and she's going to be fine. You know, this is a cry for help. And most of the time, they end up finding out a lot of the parents that I talked to, like, deeper things that happened. And that was just, like, at the end. And they had no idea. Yeah. So it, well, that's it's all just, it is. The, the, suicide, the suicidal ideations or the plan means intent, whatever form of suicide, you know, we're talking about, that's the, that's the conversation at its most extreme point. It's the manifestation of the problems that have been going wrong. And, and it's, it's a really... Um, and I get it for like the, the, the pastor or the teacher or the person like the life coach who isn't trained in how to sit with suicide because like even as a therapist in the beginning of getting trained to sit with that, it's a scary, it's a big ask. It's a big ask. But what you start to realize is it's just about sitting with someone in their darkest moments and looking for the resources that are right around them. And a lot of times, you know, that first resource is making sure that they feel heard. And that's, yeah. and that's really... That's really it. It doesn't take, um, you know, like a clinician, you know, like, like myself who's been licensed for a while and been working in the field a long time to sit with someone and hear them. You know, it just takes a person who cares. Like you were highlighting, hey, can I take a few minutes to just talk to her and get to know her? You know? Yeah. Because a lot of times that's all, that's all they need just to buy another day. Yeah. Let me get a stranger to come pray for you. Okay. You know, like I yeah. don't... I <laughs> yeah, and when they asked, and we took about an hour. This was like an hour of my time. This was, I was like, I'm never going to see her again, but I at least want to know where she's at. And, um, you know, people were like, hurry up, hurry up. I'm like, what do you mean, hurry up? She, did you not hear what she just said? You know, and um, I, I, the other thing, too, like I've had, you know, I deal with a lot of church members and stuff. I had um, a friend call, and she's like, my brother, you know, has been talking about, you know, suicide a lot lately. And, um, I'm like, okay, well, you know, what's going on? Well, he's been chronically ill. And I'm like, okay, so it's it's reasonable that he thinks like that because of all the stuff he's dealing with, you know? Um, what happens when, you know, he talks about how he feels? Oh, we tell him don't talk like that. You know, oh, you know, he's in pain. He was going through like severe, like chemo, all kinds of stuff. And he was in pain and he wasn't allowed to talk about it. He was like, don't talk about it. Just, you know, just pray. Just think of God. Like, no, let them express themselves. There's so much that happens, even just with that. And it's uncomfortable, right? Like we said earlier, we want to control the situation or just deny it altogether. Right, right. You know, and it's 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 funny because it's like just just talk to God, like just pray to God about it. You know, and it's like 
okay, so am I like, at the end of the day, we're, we're having that conversation of like God's will, not mine, but you're already obstructing it by being willful and telling someone else how to go about living their life. You know, it's like, Hey, stop obstructing someone else's process. Let them, if they, if they can't share with you, get them to someone that will listen, you know? Yeah. And, and I guess that's the invitation to, you know, to any person out there is if people aren't going to listen to you and you're feeling some kind of way about something, find someone you can talk to, you know, go out and, and, and just get to that, that one person that you know might listen in your life. And then maybe they can help you get to the next person who knows what to do. Yeah. And I think, um, I want to go back to prayer, you know, like a lot of times we tell them, okay, go pray. They don't even know how to pray sometimes. Like, what do you mean yeah. pray? What do you mean? And I tell people, you know what? Some people really don't have anybody. If you don't have anybody right at that moment, okay, pray like, you know, like he hears you literally tell him every single thing. Like, I feel like killing myself. Like I'm dealing with this right now. I'm terribly sick. I have locked up. I'm terrified. You know, that same way you go with him, have that same conversation with somebody else, but be open and honest, just be yeah. a being, you know, tell him what's going on with you. Or tell, you know, a friend, whatever it might be, but just putting that out there. I think that's already the first step. And, yeah. you know, telling ministers that, like, let them talk. <laughs> because right. It's a, a, it's, just... it's a spiritual principle that gets associated with recovery, right? If you just look at, like, if we just look at alcoholism, you know, in, in ex, like, there are a bunch of different 12-step programs where the, the spiritual maladies get addressed through the same 12 steps. Is in step five, it's admit to yourself, to another, and to God the exact nature of your wrongs, right? There's yeah. like, there, there is something about being able to share what it is that you've done, what you're going through, what you're feeling with yourself, someone else that you trust into a higher power or just something bigger than yourself. Even if you have to go sit by the ocean, there is something freeing about it. Absolutely. And, and even if it's just, I don't have to feel trapped in this house of secrets anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's all everything. Just, I mean, just the fact that you can hear yourself say something like that, like, did I just say that, you know, and I, I've had friends along my journey who, you know, even recently, like just come up to me and say, Hey, can I tell you something? I've never told anybody this before. And they pour out like trauma after trauma. And you could just see like, they turn into that three-year-old again, that five-year-old again. But that moment that they finished, it was like, already like they were like a different person you know just get get that out you know and, and from there we can just get you the help that you need yeah well and i like that you make that distinction right because it's okay if if we get those things out like word vomit to to a friend but then that next step of like okay what do i do with all this that i just got out it's it's because i think the biggest concept i ever learned was um to slow things down i always i always used to tell myself all the time when i was running from my emotional experience, I've got this, I've got this, you know? And when I've really slowed down in my life and admitted to myself that I don't have this and I never will is really when things started to feel peaceful and, and, and connections of the spiritual awakenings or the serenity that I felt is when I've been able to just admit, I don't have this. And then until my last breath, whenever that is, and hopefully in that last breath, I'm still reaching out to God and others to help me navigate the answers that I don't understand. And that's really, I think, right, that invitation, like, hey, get it out, and then continue to seek, like, hey, how can I continue to not just get this out, but navigate doing the work? How do I sit with this? How do I work through this? How do I connect with this? What What is this process of pain, you know? Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of that verse, be still and know that I'm God, you know, and be still, and yeah. that is so hard. That's like way up there to actually be able to do that, yeah. to just be still. 
Um, you know, and then it goes on to say like faith without works is dead. And, you know, just doing all these things. Do I believe that I can walk towards healing? Do I believe that I can better my circumstance, uh, my mindset, whatever it is, you know, I'm struggling with There's people that have not kept a job for years. Like they've never had a stable job. Are you eventually tired of that? Do you want to keep a job? What steps do we need to take? Let's get into that and dig in and find out, you know, after you've been still, okay, I'm going to admit that I'm never going to be able to keep a job or I, you know, I've told you all this. Now, what do I need to do? Okay, I need to get some help. There's something here going on. What skills am I missing? What is going on in my mind, you know, that is keeping me from that? Right. Well, there's a, there's a question, right, as, as we're just kind of like discussing the ways we apply our work and, and the different resources yeah. that we utilize and offer. There's a question I ask everyone who comes on here. And I'm curious, if you had to choose one book, Melissa, that is like the most inspiring book that you've ever read in this field uh, of mental health or, or like the connection between mental health and ministry or education or however you would identify that in your mind, what book would that be for you? Well, you already know what I'm going to say. Uh-oh. <laughs> Do I? Yeah, just say it. I'm sorry. What book am I going to say? Uh, the Bible. Yes. And I'm going to tell you why. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait. I mean, it's been a long time. Like, was there one in school? No, no. no. It, it's the Bible. Um, I think that, you know, ministers, people in general, like if you read, I would focus even on Proverbs and like Psalms, you know, there's so much wisdom. It's a book of wisdom. And it talks about, there's wisdom in many, there's wisdom in counsel there, you know, so many verses that point us to that. And I always recommend like ministers that don't believe in mental health. Can you read your Bible again, sir? <laughs> like, can you just read this again? And that in itself is going to point you to, um, you know, God's thing is we need to reach out. There's points in our lives where we're going to be still, where we're going to realize like we need to move on from this, where it talks about like, you know, literally if you look at psychology and a lot of the, um, the basic model of it, you know, it's, it's biblical and, you know, it, it's all to me, it's like all in the same. So I would recommend, just read Proverbs, honestly, a book of wisdom, and you're going to pull out like just basic, you know, basic truths that you can use. So, yeah. Do you, do you know for, for the listeners where someone could go about uh, buying the Bible? Who's the author again? You already know. <laughs> the word of God is. <laughs> so you can look on your phone. There's you version. You can pull it up on your phone. You oh, that's right. They have like Bible apps now and everything. Yeah, you can just pull that up from anywhere. Um, and I like I know people that are not even religious and they just enjoy Proverbs. Proverbs are so common. Like, right, you go yeah. anywhere. You open up a like those little fortune cookies and you'll find a proverb in there, right? Yeah. Because there's something about simplifying um, you know, there's like that, that um, psychological jargon that we could use, you know, right. but there's something about simplifying it for, for our friends and family, for the people and just little truths like that. And so I'm well, a firm believer. If you hang out with me long enough, you, you'll be around Proverbs because I have it tattooed on my body. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I remember because you used it for a class. Oh, that's right. I did. I did. Yeah, you used wow. it because we needed to have a Bible verse. I think you forgot it, and you're like, well, I have it right here. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. I remember that presentation. Like, oh, fuck, I forgot that part of the presentation. <laughs> but God had your back, man. <laughs> he did. He was like, shoot, show me your tattoo, bro. He's like, I prepped you years ago for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I can't remember if that helped or if that if I didn't get the grade on that part. I think I you got the grade because you had it. I mean, it was obvious. Right. <laughs> like the whole class thought and then denying it. <laughs> God bless. Well, Melissa, I, I appreciate you taking the time to just have this conversation. I think it's valuable just from the standpoint of like being able to have the conversation of like not just the family impacts, but also kind of like 
we gravitated into that conversation of like trauma and suicide and how like spirituality can really balance some of those things, but also how spirituality can be a good complement of just being able to talk about those things. And I appreciate you making those connections this morning because it's, you know, I know for me, it's not something that like I think about a hundred percent of the time, you know, maybe 50% of the time. And it was just a good refresher and a reminder to, to have some of those things on my mind and remember the value of it. Yeah, no, thank you for inviting me. And I think during this time, like, it like all my students that I've had, like they've all brought up spirituality. Like it's stirring in people, and you, you want to have hope in something, you know, you, whatever it is that you believe in. But it's really important to not forget that, you know, when we're seeing clients or anything like that, that they not all of them, but a lot of them have some type of belief in something, you know, whether it's their ancestors, whatever it might be, you know, to bring that up. But thank you so much for having me here. It was nice seeing you, and I'm. I'm so glad that you were walking exactly where you said you would go. I remember you're like, I want to do this and I want to do that and <laughs> doing it, man. So I'm excited. Yeah, it's nice. I appreciate that. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Alrighty. Well, everyone who's listening to this point, thank you for uh, checking in on this podcast and uh, we'll be, we'll be back soon with another guest. And uh, again, if, if uh, you want to check this out, we're on anchor, Spotify, I post it to Facebook. We're all over the place. You'll find us. All right. Thanks guys.